Hi, I'm Rashma Sajani, the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. Welcome to Brave, Not Perfect. On this podcast, I talk with up and coming change makers who are leaving their fear of failure behind and letting bravery lead the way. You'll hear from incredible people who are using their skills and talents to make a difference in their community. And I'll ask them about the moments where they decided to be brave, not perfect. Today, we're talking to Natalia Quintero. She runs the Parity Professional Program, also known as P3, at Parity Partners. Parity was founded to address a pretty big problem, the scarcity of senior women in asset management. Over 500 women have participated in the program since they started, and she is on a mission to create gender parity in the asset management business and in the venture business. We're going to see a lot more from Natalia. My name is Natalia Quintero, and I run the Parity Professional Program at Parity Partners. So P3. P3, yes. What exactly is it? P3 is... You know, it's a community of women leaders in investment roles and technology across venture capital, private equity, and technology. And our community is about 600 women between New York, uh, San Francisco, and London. And we bring together really ambitious, bright women uh, who are excited to build long-lasting careers in these fields and who really want to make it to the very, very top and are excited to do so together and and do so soon. So tell me about your story. Like, why this? Out of all the things you could have worked on, like, what, what, how did your journey lead you to this, to working you know, on this issue? I, I wish I could say that it was planned and a part of my uh, five-year plan, but that is, that is not what happened. <laughs> um, I have, I'm lucky to have really great mentors and one of my mentors, Karen Efron, had started Parity to initially as an executive recruiting firm to make sure that where there were investment firms that were looking for great senior female talent, that they would have access to a dedicated resource where they could go and find all of those women and kind of diverse uh, voices and so that they basically couldn't have an excuse to say that there wasn't. I can't find them. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's not enough talent. I don't know where they are. There's not enough of them. We we have them all. (laughs) So there's no excuse if, you know, if you want to hire and build diverse teams, you know, Karen and and her partner said, "We'll, we'll make it happen. And so Karen came to me with, you know, with her partners and we started thinking about what it would mean to build a community for women that were on the path to these big roles, to becoming managing directors, to becoming principals at these investment firms, and how we could give them resources and connectivity to make sure that they could get there, and that when they got there, they would have access to the resources that they needed to be successful in those yeah. roles. So in taking this job, you weren't like, oh my, God, this is the issue that I care about, but was were you curious about solving this problem? Like... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had been in a venture role before and, you know, there are, uh, there are a bunch of dynamics that you see when you are in venture capital that are really interesting to be aware of. One of which was as a younger woman who had gone into the workforce, I was very, I was always very cognizant of other people's time and being respectful of not you didn't want to bother them. Much. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to bother them. You know, your emails begin by saying, sorry yeah. to bother Hi, you. Yeah. hope you're well. Yeah. So sorry to bother. Don't yeah. want to take up your time. Yeah. I'm so sorry to 
ask for this? Yeah. Do you have five minutes to, you know, help me with this one thing? And I, I kind of expected that, that that's what I was competing against. That's what we were all collectively doing as young professionals was just kind of asking for a little bit of help where we could get it. And once I had the opportunity to be in, you know, an investment role or in a portfolio management role at a venture firm, I realized that I would get these emails from, you know, both from female entrepreneurs and, you know, people that were hoping to build these companies, mostly women were hoping to build these companies. And then I would get these, you know, two-liner emails from these very ambitious men that said, hey, Natalia, I see you have a new job. Let's make a meeting to talk about my company. And I was blown away by this massive discrepancy in, you know, in the expectations that I think we have of how we should be treated and what we deserve sometimes. And I was really excited to build a community where, you know, women could come together and ask for what they want and then get it. Why is there such a difference between the two? Is it the way they're raised? Is it culture? Is it society? I mean, I write and talk a lot about this, but I'm curious to know what you think. Yeah. You know, a big part of it is definitely social influence. Obviously, not all women are like this. Obviously, we all have, you know, unique and individual personalities and takes on the things around us. But I really do believe that we are expected to be polite and respectful and likable to a degree that men don't have to be. And and that can work against us. And it could really build our professional identities in the way that it's built our personal identities. And it's also tricky because when you think about building your business identity, it can't be exactly, you know, your personal identity, but it also can't be exactly what has been modeled you know, historically, which is kind of like this male prototype. And so... Which hasn't worked. Which hasn't worked. And, you know, I, I think we are most successful when we are authentically ourselves. And yeah. We just don't have tons of role models of what that means and what that could look like. So I think it's really paving new paths. So why do you think that female senior executives are such a, still such a small part of U.S. corporate leadership? I mean, there's been a lot of different theories. Dan Marie Slaughter, you know, Sheryl Sandberg. What do you think? You know, I really think that it comes down to this really basic kind of human network that we've, you know, that we find ourselves in right now. And that is that historically, these really big, successful companies, I'll speak specifically to venture firms, have been built by you know small groups of of men who who really enjoy hanging out you know with each other who really enjoy each other's companies you know they were buddies in their 20s or their 30s and they made a few investments and they made a few million bucks and you know they they've had very successful careers doing what they do together why bring somebody that looks and acts and is different and break that up, right? And so I think, you know, in, in some of these industries, I think it's it's resistance to change because things are pretty good as they are for the people that have held power to date. And, and change is hard. Change yeah. is hard for everybody. I mean, you certainly saw that in the Senate Judiciary Committee during the hearings, right? It's like, and oftentimes as managers, right, the biggest risk you can take is who you hire. And so if you want to be safe, you want to not make a mistake, you just hire someone who looks like you. Why is it important, though, to have diversity in leadership ranks? Why is it important to have women and people of color? You know, we can talk about socially why that is valuable uh, and, you know, and what that does for our communities. But I think, uh, frankly, what has resonated most in all the conversations that we've had as a company 
has been that it's good for the bottom line. You know, it's just when you represent, especially in investment roles, when you represent a wider range of voices, you are capturing a bigger set of market share. And so you have a higher likelihood of returning your investments to the people that invested in you. And that that's just good business. Yeah. And I mean, I think my girls always point this out to me too. I mean, especially in this day and age, when they're talking about artificial intelligence, there's so many products that are being created, data sets that are being created where we were being left out on. And so we don't even know the kinds of things that you would actually innovate upon because we just don't have a diverse pool of entrepreneurs who are, who we're giving a chance to actually fund their ideas, which, you know, in 2016, only 5% of VC funding went to women. You know, that, how do we get to gender parity on that? I mean, it's a long road. I think less than what, less than 20 black women have received over a million dollars of seed capital. These are, these are very dire numbers. (laughs) You know, I think that this is where our focus on putting women in the investment roles is so key. We can talk about, you know, we can talk about, you know, presenting women entrepreneurs to more opportunities, connecting them with more investors. But at the end of the day, if they are not meeting with investors who fundamentally understand where they're coming from and why they're building the businesses that they're building, you know, there's just a lower likelihood that there will be that connection, that there will be that click. And so, you know, I think for us, part of the answer is where we can, making sure that the companies that have capital to deploy have a diverse team that can capture these ideas and can, you know, over time increase that number and and build diverse investment teams that can that can get these ideas and can invest in those ideas and can make it really come into fruition. So of all the things that you've been working on in, at Parity Partners, what's the golden ticket? What's the thing that's going to get us to parity as quickly as possible? More women in investing roles. Really, it's just as simple as that. It's just more women, uh, not only in investing roles, but having 10 or 15 or 20 more women in senior investing roles is very different than having even, I would say, 50 or 100 investment female investment professionals in analyst roles because the power dynamic really matters. And, you know, and for us, the golden ticket is at the end of the day, one, setting up women that are taking those roles up for success, making sure that, that they are connected to the resources that they need to be successful, plugging them in to mentors, men and women who can give them, you know, the lay of the land and can connect them to deal flow and can connect them to, to, to other peer mentors and other, you know, sector specific mentors. And, and once, you know, they do get those roles, it's, you know, making sure that they, you know, they, they can also have a community that they can pay it back to and continue to build that wheel of change. Yeah. I mean, I think the point you make about power is so important because I think for a lot, a lot of the young women that I talk to, they still feel like they don't have the power to kind of say what they think. So if you're a junior analyst on an investment team, a woman comes in and makes a presentation about something that most of the male partners don't know about, you know, how does she have the courage and the voice to like voice her opinion about that? You know, and I think that's why where she sits obviously is very important. And I think the second thing, right, is making sure that women see sisterhood as an important aspect of why they're there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would even say that even if you are the only woman and and a very senior woman around that table, that makes a big difference. But if you are the only woman, you know, in the five 
investment firms that are investing in that particular company, it's not enough. It's helpful when there is, you know, when there are other women around the table across other companies who can echo or build on, you know, the points that you're making so that all of the companies can understand the logic that not just one person is saying, but that a multitude of people are representing. Yeah. So we love to always ask our guests, what's your brave, not perfect moment? Hmm. I'm constantly learning to do things, even if they are not only imperfect, but even just bad. (laughs) You know, I, I think that I'm yeah, I, I both fault myself and thank myself for being a very structured person. And, you know, when you're building something uh, that doesn't exist, it, you want things to look, you know, really beautiful and you want there to be this calendar of events and you want everything to flow perfectly. But inevitably, there are so many hours in the day and and there are so many things that can go wrong that just going with the flow and, you know, letting things take their course has, I think, actually, you know, just this whole process has been learning that trying is better than not trying. And even if it fails, it's it's still okay. Yeah. The world is not going to end. Yep. And you learn a lot from your failures and your mistakes. You know, I think we, we forget that. Well, thank you so much, Natalia, for being on our podcast. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Brave Not Perfect. Got a question for me? Send us a note at bravenotperfectpodcast at gmail.com or call in directly via the Anchor app on your phone. Until next time, this has been an episode of Brave Not Perfect with me, Reshma Sajani.